you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he shall give them up, until the time that she who is in labour has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. From now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and this one shall be peace. Amen. chapter 7 verses 10 to 14 moreover the Lord spoke again to Ahaz saying ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God 
Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Jesus foretold. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, 
a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Amen.
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Saviour has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the angel of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. <coughs>
Good. I wonder if I could have permission to come down here. Would that be all right? I'd feel very much at home if I was down here. Because um, in Port Rush, this is where I usually speak from, and I don't get the chance sometimes to kind of feel as much as home. And I, I do that here this evening. I say uh, thank you for the invitation to come this evening and share in your carol service. Uh, it is a, a real delight for Joan and I to be here with you and to bring you our own greetings and, of course, the good wishes and prayers of the whole of our church-wide, which, you know, they may not all know. Well, I think quite a few know what's going on tonight because they follow it in our prayer line and so on, and they'll have a fair idea of what's happening. And it's great just to be able to come and, uh, as it were, link, link us all together across the whole of this little island, north, south, east and west, in this role. I want to share a few thoughts with you tonight on a passage, Matthew chapter 2, uh, which is all about the journey. And I'm going to read that with you, just the first 12 verses. And um, we can read it together or you can listen just as, as we wish. This is God's Word and it is... Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, quoting, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them just what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you find him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Amen. And We'll pray. Father, would you please guide us now as we take some time to think about this passage, this truth and this journey that it speaks about, and help us to walk this journey, as it were, with the help of your Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to think about the, this passage on the theme of the journey. And I want to think about four simple questions, simply about it, that allow us just to investigate what's going on here. Questions, what is the reason for the journey? What is the destination of the journey? What is the cost of the journey? And what is the effect of it? 
Um, just to simply try to spend a little bit of time here thinking about this, because journeys are something that we all take. We've all made a journey to get here tonight. Your journey might not have been very long. It might have been a five-minute journey or a ten-minute journey, but you needed to make a journey nonetheless. Joan and I had a journey that was not that much longer. We came from Belfast this evening. We had been over in Carrickfergus this morning. And uh, so we haven't had just such a long journey. We came from Ballymena this morning, and we hopefully got back there tonight. Journeys. We're all making journeys. But some of you have made longer journeys than that, I'm sure. You've journeyed to America, some of you, I dare say. Some of you may have even gone to New Zealand or, or Australia. In fact, one of our staff in Church House is going to Australia this week. And every day I was going in, I'd be saying, how many sleeps is it now until you get the plane? You know? And she's heading up to see her daughter for the first time in three and a half years. And a new baby and all that goes with that. So there's a journey. A journey that will no doubt change her in some way. I would be sure that she'll not be the same when she comes back, for she'll have had a whole new experience. What's the reason for your journey? Well, I think when we try to understand these, these men, as they're described here as wise men, magi, they are in the category of those who are the scientists of their day, I suppose you could say. Scientists, that is, they, they were men who were interested in cosmology, the heavens, the stars. And while we might think, well, astrology and all that stuff, you know, is forbidden in Scripture and divination and everything else goes with it, it's interesting that in the culture that they're in, it might have been taken slightly more seriously than that and less superstitious. And so these men, they have been pursuing the, what they think is happening in the messages of the stars, and so there's observation. That's part of the reason. The star is actually a comet, I think. A friend of mine who is... Uh, theologian did a lot of research in this and wrote a book simply on this called The Christ Comet, working with NASA and with uh, the Armagh Planetarium, took at least a year of work on this book. You can get the book, it's still, in, in, uh, still published. It's something that's historical, it's something that actually happened, it's something that can, you, go, you can go back in history and you can see the reality of this. So there was observation and there was investigation because these men had they talked about them having investigated. They, they said, we have seen his star. They had been following this for some time. These comets, they appear in the sky and they travel and then they just burn out. And as it traveled across the sky, they had followed and traced and tracked its journey. And so there was investigation. There was observation. But I think there was also revelation. Because behind this, I think there is the grace of God in Daniel. Daniel, 500 years earlier, had been taken to this country, then as it was Babylon, now Persia. And he had been a prisoner. You know the story well. It's recorded in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And how Daniel remained faithful to God and how God spoke to him in many and various ways. And through him, he was able to speak to the king or the Babylonian empire, whose name was Nebuchadnezzar, who when he came to faith, and you read about that, those words when he turned his eyes to heaven in his state of mental derangement, that his senses returned to him and he went back and he called the whole nation to look to the Lord. And so there is a strong case 
that these men may well have had some sense of something that's going to happen long before this. And so maybe revelation is part of what it is. But there's also a sense in this in which these men represent something that's so precious to God that when he was talking to Abraham, giving him his promise right at the beginning in Genesis 12, he said, through you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And these men, when they're coming from the east, they represent part of that great promise of God. The nations of the world are coming. Later on in Revelation, we can read there in chapter 7 and verse 9 that all nations shall be represented before the throne of God in heaven. In other words, Jesus came not just for the Jewish nation, but that through them he would then reach out into all nations, such as us who are gathered here this evening, that Irish Presbyterians are part of that story as well. And that's something to celebrate and to sing about and to talk about and to share. So the reason for their journey, well, I think those are some of the reasons that lie behind it. But what's the destination of this journey? Well, it says here that, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. But that's not their destination, is it? No. They came and they said, Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? Their destination is not a place, but their destination was a person. And although you and I may go at times to a place, we may go there because we want to see somebody. Sometimes my wife and I travel to America, not because we want to see the sights of America, which are very nice and so forth, but because we have a daughter lives there and we have three grandchildren there. It's for people. It's to see our son-in-law again. We go to see people. That's our destination. Somebody says, where are you going? I'm going to see my daughter. I'm going to see my son, or I'm going to see my friend. These wise men, if you'd have met them on the road on their way and said, where are you going? We're going to see the one who has been born king, the person. And that, of course, is very important when we think about it, because that's what Christmas is all about, isn't it? It's not about the destination of the event. It's about the person, the person Jesus himself and who he is and who he represents and what he has come to do. But the third question is, what is the cost, the risk? And to a degree, we cannot really see it explicitly in this text, but more implicitly in the text. Let me quote to you from an older man who wrote long ago. You may have heard of him. His name was J.C. Riley. He says this about this very question. What trouble it must have cost them to travel from their homes to the house where Jesus was born. How many weary miles they must have journeyed. The fatigues of an eastern travel traveler are far greater than we in this country can understand. The time that such a journey would occupy must necessarily have been very great, and the dangers to be encountered were neither few nor small. I mean, when we think of setting off on a journey sometimes, many of our journeys are, are pretty normal. I mean, we may get a little anxious or a little stressed out sometimes about certain journeys. You know, if you don't like flying, maybe, or something else. Or maybe you're traveling into a place where there's risk. Joan and I were in Ukraine about seven weeks, six, seven weeks ago. 
And, you know, there are degrees of anxiety when you're traveling into countries where there are tensions and when there's war. But there's nothing, nothing really to worry about. For you're supported and surrounded by all sorts of people who know better than you. But these men are on their own, and they have with them a number of treasures, which makes them, I would think, targets for all sorts of bandits and various people. There's cost in terms of their time. There's cost in terms of what they bring with them. And when you think about that, the gifts that they have, they're very important. Those gifts are mentioned in Scripture specifically, and so therefore there must be reason here when it talks about the gifts they bring. And we read of that at the end of this little section. When they open their treasures, they offer him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And of course, those gifts themselves speak of a cost, do they not? Because here is the king, because gold is representative of the royalty and the king. And surely there's a cost in that, because the king has stepped down from the throne to be a humble man. We read in Scripture that he humbled himself and became a servant, a servant even unto death, the death of a cross. There is a cost, there is a price to be paid for he who is king to step down. The, the, the frankincense is to represent that nature of Jesus, which is divine. He is the Son of God. Incense was offered up unto God in the temple, and this frankincense indicates the nature of Jesus as he who is divine. The divine has taken on human flesh, which will, of course, end in the mirror, which is sacrifice and death. There is a cost, a great cost that the Lord Jesus Christ will pay. And while it's not the cost of the necessarily to the men who brought these gifts, it speaks to us of the cost of the Lord Jesus Christ to win for us a salvation, the greatest gift of all, the gift that is described in Scripture as the gift of eternal life. There's also the cost, I think, for these men of confronting the fears that they had in this man. Herod, you know, is not just a, a, an important king. He's a ruthless king. He's the king who had his mother and his wife and his brother all killed. He's the sort of king that you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of, so that whenever he, in his deceitful manner talks about wanting to worship the king. We know what he was really about. He wanted to exterminate. He wanted to kill the king. Anybody who would threaten his position would be removed. I don't think these men were unaware of the risk that was involved to them if they didn't do what he said. You come back and tell me. What is the effect, thirdly? Well, we can tell what the effect was because we read it in verse 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. They fell down and they worshipped him. The effect upon these men was profound. It was personal. It was long-lasting. It was humbling. It was life-changing. Many journeys that we go on do change us. Some journeys more than others. I, a friend of mine and a colleague and others will know David Couples. Uh, David is just about to retire after 35 years in Enniskillen as the minister there. But some years ago in 2019, 18, 19, David decided he would do the walk, the journey of the Camino, uh, which is... Uh, 
for him, it took, I can't remember how many days, but he recorded eventually a, a little journal that became his devotional called Peregrino, which is Pilgrim. And if you ever get a chance to get a copy of that, and I could not recommend it more highly to you. Now, he's going to republish it in March, he tells me. And I would say it's one of the best devotionals I have ever read. Now, that's saying something, and I've read a lot of devotionals. But knowing him and knowing his nature, the change and the transformation in his life on account of the journey that he made was profound because he really entered into it in a prayerful and spiritual manner. But I'm sure you've had all sorts of changes on your journeys. Maybe some journey you went on, you met your wife, your life partner. Perhaps sometimes that happens. You go on a journey, you meet people. A lot of times it's the people we meet on journeys that changes and has the effect, isn't it? They, we make friends, friends that stay with us for life. I remember one time going to, the, to, to, to um, Austria on a journey to spend uh, a week at a conference for, with International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And on that journey, I met, uh, I met a girl from Austria who was uh, there representing some, her own Christian university or students in university there in Austria. We went on a trip up the mountains, a whole crowd of us, and um, she and I became friends on that journey. And we have been friends since 1977. And we will be in contact uh, when we can. Her children have come to stay with us here in the north of Ireland. We have visited them in Austria. But there was a journey. The journey I had took about a three or four hours up a mountain. But it has, it has lasted for over 40 years. That's what happens to us on our journeys. And, and to these men, I think there was great change came over their lives. I mean, when it talks about them rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, those are profound and powerful words. Rejoicing exceedingly with great joy. Do you ever, have you ever done that? Rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Presbyterians are not known for the rejoicing and exceeding joy. We could do with a bit more of it. But when we, when, we, when we enter into experiences of meeting with Jesus Christ, it should result in joy, shouldn't it? Because he is the joy bringer, and his Holy Spirit is the one who produces joy in our hearts. What is the effect? I think those are some of the effects. But, but then I was thinking about this journey, and I have another question to ask. Where to begin? Where to begin? You see, everybody, when they enter on a journey, has got to start somewhere. Isn't that right? We always say that the longest journey begins with the first step or the shortest step. And I don't doubt that here in this evening worship that, and that many of you have already begun that journey with Jesus, to Jesus. I'm sure that you have stepped out on that road, and perhaps you've been walking for many, many years along that path of Christian discipleship and of faith. But perhaps somebody is here tonight, and you've never entered on that journey at all. The thought of that is perhaps frightening to you. You maybe considered it. You've thought about, I would really like to take that step. I'd like to begin that journey but you've always hesitated because you're maybe afraid that you couldn't actually keep going on it. Or you might fall on the road, which is, you will actually fall on the road, let me reassure you. You'll not fall off it, but you will for sure fall on it many times. But it may be that you've kept back from ever, I just, 
I, I don't think that's for me yet. You've hesitated or whatever. But I would encourage you tonight to think seriously about stepping out by faith and begin that journey with Jesus. Or maybe there are some of us here tonight and you have been walking on that journey, but you've stopped. You know, you've sat down for some reason. You've, you've kind of decided that for some reason or other you want to halt the journey. Maybe you're angry with God. Maybe you, something has happened in your life to you or to somebody belonging to you, and you're just very annoyed about it. And you say, well, I was walking. I was walking on that journey of faith, but I just, I'm not going anywhere at the moment. And maybe this is a good time, this Christmas time, for you to think, maybe I should, I should start walking again. I should start walking closely with Jesus. I should start to walk simply. Maybe your journey's been interrupted in some way. There are all sorts of things can happen to us in our walk of faith with Jesus. But it's a good time for us to think about it, I think. These men, if you'd asked them before they started, what do you think is going to happen on this journey? Oh, they must like say, we're not really sure. Did they know? I don't think they did. Well, they knew something. But did they know everything? No. Does anybody in here know everything? Does your minister know everything? No. Does the moderator of the General Assembly know everything? Absolutely not. Does that stop me from beginning something? The number of people who I meet in life who say to me, well, I, you know, I've got lots of questions, and, and I, would, I would do this if that. I say, you know, you need to take the first step. You need to take, to take the very first step, and then it will become clearer. That's the promise of Scripture, that if we, if we come to him, he will take us and lead us along that journey. And the journey becomes an adventure. It's an adventure every day, isn't it? Just to do what he calls us to do, to trust him, and to just walk by faith. I would just invite you to keep going on and to keep trusting him who has already walked the journey for before us. We don't walk. Uh, he has walked the journey. He only invites us to come where he's already been. So let me pray for us all that we might be helped by the Holy Spirit to do that. Dear Lord and God, we thank you tonight that we have here a profound and wonderful account of these men who set out upon an adventure moved and motivated in sovereign ways by you and stepping out, not knowing the full extent of what it would mean. We thank you that they have left behind footprints, as it were, in time. Footprints that invite us to step out and to follow them. Oh Lord God, would you stir up within our hearts by your Holy Spirit the faith that enables us to keep walking and to walk swiftly and closely and to walk firmly and to walk gladly and to walk humbly. And perhaps, O oh Lord, would you by your Spirit stir us up to walk again, to get up and keep going if we've perhaps slowed off or sat down. And maybe tonight it's the very place and time that you, by your Spirit, are calling someone to come out and start this journey.
Come, trust me. Just take the first step. Come to me. Put out your hand of faith and trust in my promises to you that I forgive you, I will be with you, I will change you, and one day we will be together forever. So hear our prayer, O God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once in Royal David City, we're going to sing. child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the way of peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with you this night and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm.
Oh, 